The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 163 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. Before we get into the episode, we do want to thank a new five-star reviewer on Apple Podcasts. And uh, the username is Cryar Pathwalker. Thank you so much for your five-star review and your kind words. We truly appreciate it. My guest on the show this week is Andrea Hales, and Andrea is so much fun. We've gotten to know each other through our Latter-day Saint podcasting group, and I just think she has a really unique point of view and a cool story to tell, and it was fun to have her in my home. I'm enjoying opening things up a little bit and doing some in-person interviews again, and uh, Andrea was joined by her husband, Mark, and they are just wonderful, fun, fun people. In fact, during the interview, at one point, you'll hear Mark interject a little bit. I wish we could have gotten him on microphone, but he passed on that. But uh, either way, they were so much fun. It's just a great story. And this week in my Latter-day life, a new friend and a whole new attitude. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And my guest today here in the Latter-day Live studios is the host of an amazing podcast that I'm excited to talk about. Of course, first we have to hear all about your life. Andrea Hales, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I cannot tell you how excited I am to have you here. Uh, We have a lot of questions because you've got a very cool project you're doing. But first of all, we got to get to know you. Tell us where you're from. I grew up in a little teeny tiny town called Farron, Utah. Where is Farron? So um, it's 45 miles south of Price, Utah. Mm. If you're using Price as your indicator of the big city, everyone would know. It must be a really small town. Yes, we had to go 45 miles to get to a Walmart <laughs> wow. or a McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, so talk talk about Farron. Tell us what Farron's like. So when I was growing up there, um, it was right at the the peak of a coal mining and power plant building era. Um, and my dad, when I was born, was a coal miner. Mm. And he met my mom. She was a student from the placement program, from the church's Indian placement program. And my dad had a coal mining buddy who married a placement girl. And so they thought, oh, we should set these two up. <laughs> and they did. And it was, eh. And then they set, and then they went on another date and it was, eh. And then they bumped into each other at a uh, church, a fireside for young single adults. And my dad had just got a new car and he showed my mom the new car <laughs> and my mom fell for my dad because of a car. Oh, that's an <clears throat> awesome story. Yeah. So I, I'm not totally familiar with the Indian placement program. Talk about that. Yeah. So it was a program to take children from the reservations, not just one, but all of them in the United States, children who were baptized members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and placed them in 
Latter-day Saint homes so that they could learn the gospel and a lot of times get a better education because it seemed like um, some most of the schools that were available on reservations weren't as um, as equipped to mm. to put the children forth into the world as as productive men and women. Were these kids who were living with their own families at the time? Yeah. So how was that perceived on the reservations? Um, so some, some families thought it was a great idea and some families it was a hardship because they, they just loved their children. So there, there are those families that were like, this is an amazing opportunity and others that were like, okay, I'm following the prophet. Mm. So it depends. And, and the results varied widely too. Some, some had really good experiences with the families that they were placed with, and some were treated very badly. So even to this day, there are um, varied opinions on that. Some are so grateful for it, and some are like, the church messed up my life. So it yeah. it's it's pretty deep. When did that program end, do you know? I think it ended in the in the early 90s yeah because <clears throat> yeah. wow. I actually have some friends that I met at BYU who were placement students mm. when they were in high school and and they're not that much older than me wow wild yeah but you are somewhat a product of this program I am a product of this how program. does your mom feel about it uh, my mom was mostly grateful for it she she didn't have she had so they had different families that they weren't they didn't always stay with the same family. She had a family in Ephraim, Utah, and she got along with them. And then she had another family in Huntington, Utah, and, uh, or Cleveland, and it was kind of a wreck. Mm. Um, but my mom, uh, her favorite family was the one she graduated high school, high school with, um, and that's the one that I call my grandma. Mm. So I grew up having... A Grandma Worthen, a Grandma Parker, and a Grandma Guyman. <laughs> oh, that part of it's great. So, yeah. So they end up getting married. Mm-hmm. You come along. How many total children do you have in your family? So I grew up with three brothers, and then I have a much younger sister than me. Mm. Um, and in in there, when I was in elementary, my dad uh, got laid off from the coal mine two weeks before the Wilberg mine accident. In up Huntington oh, yeah. Canyon, have yeah. you ever heard of that? Yeah, yeah, it was. It's the worst mine accident in Utah, and that actually was right. The uh, people that were in that accident were his crew. Oh my gosh! So it was pretty. It was rough, and I lost an uncle in that accident as well. Wow! So did you stay in Farron after that? So that's a great story. My Dad did seasonal and temporary jobs for the next two years, and he just wasn't making it, and it was rough. So um, due to miracles from Heavenly Father, and um, he ended up, we picked up, all six of us, and we moved to Cedar City, Utah. Mm. So my dad could go finish his school that he had started before. So he went to school to become an elementary teacher and my mom went to school to finish her cosmetology license and their example to me 
has always, um, it's always moved me that education is super important. Whether, whether or not it's a formal bachelor's or whatever, or whether it's a trade, but something that will be able to provide for you and your family. Beautiful. And that's such a great area, Cedar City. How old were you when you moved there? So it was the last uh, term of second grade. So I was eight. Mm. And then I did that last term in second grade and then all my third, third year of um, third grade. And then did you leave Cedar City? And then we went back and lived in the same house we lived in. Really? Yeah. Back to Farron. And your same dad house. became a teacher there? Yeah. He became a teacher in Castledale. Wow. Yeah. That is really neat. So to talk about Farron, what's 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 a typical growing up at that time in Farron? Um, well, it's hasn't changed much. There's open mm. roads, there's uh yeah. it, farm work if you have a farm or a big garden if your parents are able to provide that. So we had a big garden and I hated gardening. <laughs> <laughs> I hated weeding and I still don't like weeding, but I like having a garden. Yeah. So, um, and my grandma and grandpa, when I was little, literally lived, we shared a driveway. Oh, so, that's awesome. <clears throat> this that's is really my great. dad's mom and dad. Mm. Now, the going back to sort of one of the larger themes of this discussion, which is uh, your native heritage. Yeah. Is your native blood purely from your mom's side or is yeah. it on both sides? Yep. My dad's side is all pioneer stock and my mom is the Navajo side. Mm. And I actually have pioneer stock on my mom's side as well. Oh, that's really yeah. cool. Yeah. That's so, got to have been fun to find out about that. Yeah. Um, in fact, this past year when we've done COVID and when we did church at home, we used to do, uh, we used to have a family history spotlight in our home, and so I we could talk even about pioneers on my line, but my my family history chart does not go far back on my Navajo lines. Mm. Really, just yeah. not a lot of records kept. No, the language, the Navajo language, wasn't actually a written language until the seventies. Mm. So I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, and the Navajo language is one of the hardest languages. Right, right. Yeah, which is why it's been used by the military as a coding language as well. Yeah. So I have uh, friends who are of uh, native lineage who say, you know, yeah, I know a little bit about it, I guess, whatever. It's not really a part of my life. I have others where it's deeply entrenched. Like it's a... Like the native culture is really ingrained within their culture. How was it in your family growing up? How much did being native influence your family? That's, um, I wasn't, I never did a lot of the traditions. Um, When my mom left home, she kind of left a lot of that behind her. And she doesn't speak the language fluently anymore because she left the reservation when she was so young and even my grandma and grandpa didn't speak it very much with her they did a lot of things with my grandma was a boarding school cook Mm. and languages back then were not encouraged at boarding schools gotcha and my grandpa was a he owned a convenience store so he spoke english as much or more than he did um Navajo because 
because people traveling through. So did you, as a family, ever go back and visit the, the reservation? Oh, yeah, lots of times. Yeah. I, I know my grandma. I, I know my grandpa. My grandpa passed, but my my grandma is still alive. She's in her, in her 90s now, so... Wow. And she has a big old farm that she works. Uh, not a farm, a big old garden that she and works. where is the reservation? So the Navajo Reservation is the Four Corners area, but most of it is um, New Mexico and Arizona. And mm. then the third largest portion is in Utah. Wow. It's just cool. It just teeny tiny hooks onto Colorado. So uh, having listened to your podcast a little bit and having... Uh, friends who come from reservations. I hear the the res a lot. Yeah. The res. Yeah. Is that slang that is reserved for Native Americans? Like, should I not say the res? No, you can say it. Is that a pretty common? And and it's all, for all reservations. It's yeah. not just the Navajo. It's all of them. I just think it sounds cool. Yeah, back on the res, it just sounds really yeah, neat. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. So you probably have some, some neat memories of visiting the reservation. And then growing up, what were you into? What was what was your passion? Um, I was a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were all nerds. Well, I was a 4.0 band geek. Oh, so. see, that's the good That's the nerd we all want our kids yeah. to be. Yeah. That's great. I was too chicken to try out for sports, so I didn't do sports. And mm. we were pretty poor, so that was a second reason. Mm. That was a reason that I hid behind for not doing sports. Yeah. Oh, we can't afford that. So I was chicken, and <laughs> that was a good excuse. There was some convenience behind yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, all right. So you're growing up. Uh, was the church a big part of your life growing up? Oh, yes. For you and your family? Yes, for sure. Your family as well. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's great. So what came next? You graduate from high school. You got to make some big decisions. Am I fair and bound? Am I out? Yeah. What came after high school? Um, BYU. So mm-hmm. my dad always said, when you go to college, go away to college. You so, didn't have too many options because <clears throat> fair and... Well, I, if I really wanted to, I could have commuted to Price to yeah. CEU at the time. That's true. So, so so you go to BYU. Uh, how was your BYU experience? I really liked BYU. I enjoyed it a lot. I was there for a long time. I was there from 97 until I graduated with a Juris Doctorate in 2004. Holy cow. All right. So that is a long time, but not a long time to get a JD. Yeah. Like that's, that's a, that you really worked. So you weren't kidding about the 4.0 thing. Well, at BYU, I goofed around. <laughs> yeah. So as you kind of, a lot of a lot of people kind of come into their own at BYU or, you know, figure out who they are. Yeah. Yeah. So talk about a little bit about how you grew from your the beginning to the end of your time at BYU. Well, like I said, at, when I was growing up, I was too chicken to do sports. When yeah. I was at BYU, I'm like, I'm going to try things. I'm going to be brave. And I I changed who I, I changed who I was because... There weren't people that expected me to be the same way I always was. So mm. I um, I did band for first my first two years at BYU, and I loved that. Um, and then I danced in a performing group that oh, cool. was only at BYU for two years. It At the time, it was called Multicultural Student Organization. And it, it was similar but different to Living Legends. Mm. So Living Legends has Native American, Polynesian, and Latin 
uh, Latin uh, dancing, but this one had Native American, Polynesian, Latin, Asian, and African American. How cool. And did you perform anywhere outside of the area? Yeah, we we went down to the Navajo Reservation. We went mm. to California twice, and we went to Washington State. That is really cool. Yeah. Sounds like a great experience. Yeah. We've had guests on the show, and I've had friends who, hey, I went to BYU, and my testimony was really strengthened. It was like a great time of spiritual growth. I had other guests on the show and friends who went to BYU, and my testimony was challenged, or it was easy to rely on other people's testimonies. It seems that it kind of swings one way or another. What was it like for you? It was good for me. I I didn't... I've actually been blessed to always have a strong testimony. Um, when I was eight years old, I had a question and it kind of rocked me to the core. I was eight <laughs> and I was freaking out about it. And I said a prayer and this voice came into my head that said, Andrea, you don't need to worry about this right now. I will tell you someday. Mm. And I have never doubted that wow. there's a, a father in heaven and that there's a plan and that even even if there are things that are confusing or surprising, there's a plan. And I've always known. Oh, I think that's so beautiful. <clears throat> um, what drew you to law and what did, what were you hoping to do with it? <laughs> That's such a funny question. I also have an MPA, a Master's of Public Administration. Wow. So I did that at the same time. My undergrad was business, and I kind of hated the business program <laughs> because it felt like, and and this is Andrea, it felt like all the professors were really like, this is how you get the biggest salary. This is how you get the most mm. benefits. This is business. Yeah. And I understood that, but I'm like, "Where how do you how do you help in the world? How are you <laughs> how are you supposed to use this degree to do good in the world?" So I just kind of like I was led to the business program I was supposed to do it. Um but I kind of struggled with that. And so one day I was in the Tanner building at BYU and I was walking up the stairs and there was this bill this um not a billboard a a sign and it said masters of public administration and had some information on it and i'm like this is business the way i want to do it and i'm like this is what i want to do so you literally had a sign at byu literally that's great literally (laughs) and so i was like this is what i wanted to do but i also had this friend um a Navajo friend at BYU and he's, he was in law school at the time. And he's like, Oh, Andrew, you should totally do law school. You should totally do law school. And I'm like, and he just kind of kept at it. And he's like, what are you doing after you graduate? You should do law school. And I'm like, uh, so I was like, okay, I'll try it. So (laughs) isn't that dumb? That's not a dumb reason to try it. So I, I, uh, didn't study for the LSAT. I just went and took it because I wasn't really serious about it. And um, oh my gosh! By the way, not recommended. <laughs> not recommended. <laughs> just go in and wing the LSAT. Yeah. How'd well, that turn out? I did fair enough. I actually didn't get into BYU on the first round. Mm. I got put on the um, waiting round. That's okay. 
the waiting list. But then I was accepted. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to law school. Because I told Heavenly Father, I said, I'm not really concerned about this. But if you want me to do it, then it needs to happen. Otherwise, I'm not worried about it. And he's like, here it is. (laughs) So, So I did that. But I also did the MPA at the same time. And that that was amazing. So my goal with the law school was I wanted to do policy when I was done. I never wanted to be a yeah. courtroom lawyer. I never wanted to be. An MPA, is that more civic then? Yeah. 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 It's um, wow. government business or um, nonprofit business yeah. or even hospital business. So different things like that. And I was like, that's what I wanted to do. So that's. I felt really good about using the law background to help me when I did policy. Oof, that's big. Yeah. Those are big, big degrees. Yeah. So you graduate BYU. What came next? I started working at the Utah Higher Education Office. Hmm. It's the office that that, um, umbrellas over all the state colleges, universities, and tech schools. What were you doing there? I did policy. Just wrote policy? No, not wrote. Reviewed? Uh, reviewed it, and I mm. also helped with, we did programs, like uh, every time there's a new program that comes through a public school, it has to be approved by the Board of Regents. Yeah. And so we would make sure that it was ship shape and looking good for the Board of Regents to approve, and I worked on that. And I worked with the career and technical education um the schools and and the programs, I worked with them a little bit, and I loved that too. Wow! So, so. you enjoy you enjoyed working there. <clears throat> oh yeah, I loved it. Oh, it's awesome. Somewhere in here, and I don't know where, this guy named Mark comes along. <laughs> yeah. Well, so is this later? Or are we still? We're still not there. I'm not sure. We're not there yet. So okay. so right. I, I work. Want to make sure, I just want to make sure it's not. Oh, that was five years ago. No, that, I that so I ended up skipping it. So. I I worked. At the, at the higher ed office, and then I got invited to be on a, an internship in Washington, D.C. Oh, yeah. And okay. I and my bosses at the higher ed office, they're like, you should do this. You aren't married. You have – this is an opportunity you'll never get mm. again, so do this. And I'm like, okay. So I went and I did that, and it was it was great. And at the end of that, I was like – I was trying to decide what I should do with my life. Should I go I back? I want to hear a little more about Washington, D.C. Were you living in the city? Uh, we lived a block away from the Capitol building. Wow. It it was it was a great internship. Yeah. What year was that? Oh, that was 2005. Wow. So not long after 9-11. Yeah. Uh, which is, yeah, there was a lot going on in, uh, well, there's always a lot going on in Washington. So you were in the, the heart of it. Yeah. Did you love it? Um, I didn't. You didn't love it? <laughs> okay. My assignment was to do um, the legal work that I didn't really want to do. Mm. And so <laughs> I didn't love it. I know some people would have just thrived off it, but I didn't love it. What do you think of uh, Washington generally? Like, Oh, man, it's such a great place. Isn't it amazing? It's a great place. Yeah, I love it there. Absolutely love it. All right. So how long were you there? So... The internship was uh, 10 weeks, and then I decided to stay in Washington, D.C. area. So I found a job with the Navajo Nation Washington office. Okay, so what does the the Navajo Nation Washington office do? It's the lobbying arm for the tribe. Mm. 
And I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) You're on a roll. Yeah. So I stayed there for 10 months and I tried to do some good in the world and I hope I did, but I didn't love it. Not for you. No. But so I came back and I took the bar here in Utah Mm. and I passed the bar. I lived with my parents as a full grown woman who had a career and who did not then have a career. (laughs) All right, please tell us you studied for the bar. I did. I yeah, studied okay. my brains I'm, out I'm for glad. the bar. I was going to get really worried if you just walked in. And yeah, I studied my bar. brains out yeah. for the bar. So yeah. here you are back. That must have, was, was it a little bit confusing or oh, yeah. discouraging? Or yes. you know, here you are back, all these massive accomplishments. Hey, mom, dad, can I, can uh, I? crash here for a little yes, while? Yes, it was super. <laughs> my parents are that. so good to me. They uh, They were so kind. And yeah, it was, it was really hard to awesome. do that. That's so great. I passed the bar and then I was able to get a job back at the higher ed office. Mm, okay, cool. Doing the same kind of stuff and some more extra too. And I just loved it. That's great. And that's when I met Mark on a, a church themed Facebook kind of social site. It was called LDS Link Up. So he had, we had mutual friends because my husband also went to BYU Law School. We didn't know each other at all. Awesome. <clears throat> we were there at the same time, but we didn't know each other. That's great. How long did you guys date before you got married? <laughs> uh, we we met in person. Well, kind of met in person on a New Year's Eve on to, at a party. And we got ma- married May 24th. Of the so, same year. Uh, so New Year's Eve... From, 27 20, or 2007 2008 we got married on the May 24th of 2008 so about 4 months yeah yeah i really really don't recommend that <laughs> do you guys do you guys generally recommend that to people well we were he was 32 when we got married and by, i by was way, 29 I, by the way i say that because my wife and i are 4 months yeah. Yeah, we were May 26th was our first date. We were married September 17th. Yeah. So we are exactly almost identical to you. Yeah. And I always tell people, I, I don't, it's not that I think it's a bad idea. I just can't say, oh, you should really try it. You should get married in less than four months yeah. after you meet. No. Yeah. But we, we, I was, like I you. said, I was 29. He was 32. We had dated a lot of people. Yeah. So by the time we met each other, we're like, okay. This one works, this one works, this like all the all the list of things that you're looking for. He met all the things that I needed yeah. in, a, in a spouse and really like really wanted. He was all of it. Mark was a catch. Huh? You need more details, but how quickly did that happen? Okay, so <laughs> Mark says we Mark should... says we need more details. So, I'll, <laughs> so yeah, I want these details. So we eyeballed each other across the room at the New Year's Eve party. It was December third 31st 2007 and um the next day we went to a movie kind of together i invited him but then i forgot that i invited him (laughs) (laughs) there's a great start and so he shows up to the movie and you went oh yeah this guy no he he called and he's like so are we going to the movie i'm like oh yeah i'll save you a seat because i was already there (laughs) I love it, Mark. This is great. And my birthday's January 6th, so I invited him to a birthday party that I was throwing for myself. I, nice. 
and and I made him pay for his own ticket because we were going to see monster trucks, and he he still holds that against me. But I made everybody pay for their own ticket. <laughs> That's awesome. It's your birthday. Why are you buying other <laughs> yeah. people's tickets? I'm with you on this one. All so. Right. But then we had dinner at my house afterwards, or like, I don't remember, ice cream or something. And he came and he was playing with my nephews and visiting with my parents. And I was like, oh, this, this could work. That was a winner. <laughs> and then the next weekend, we actually went to Idaho together to the Rexburg Temple open house. Mm. So we car, we uh, did a car trip together and yeah. on the way up and on the way back, we're like, so if we get married, which was not really an if, but when, that's how fast it was. It was two weeks, really. Boom. That's awesome. Yeah. When you know, you know. Yeah. So you guys end up getting married. Yeah. What came next in your life and your career and everything else? So I kept working at the higher ed office until I had my first child in September of 2009. And then mm. I've been a stay-at-home mom ever since then. I awesome. Haven't, I haven't had a career anymore. I've well, done, you had a career. Yeah. You had a career in raising kids. Yeah. And how many kids do you guys have now? We have four now. Four. Awesome. How old's the youngest? She's three. You got your hands full. Yeah. I'm impressed you're both here. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So all this leads up to this podcast. Yes. You're a stay-at-home mom. A pandemic hits. A craziness abounds yeah tell us how you got your podcast started and tell us all about your podcast so last year when the pandemic hit and we were home with our kids when i was home with our kids all the time i needed an out a little bit <clears throat> not that i don't love them but they're a lot Everyone listening to you gets it. Yeah. We all get it. Yeah. So I started listening to podcasts because I could listen to them and do other things at the same time. I didn't have to be sitting and watching TV or anything like sure. that. And so I was listening to a lot of podcasts and um, two of my favorite podcasts, this one happens to be one of them. <laughs> That's kind. And um, no, for real though, I was, I listened to every episode and i was like i i just needed it because you were talking to people and just mm. getting their stories and i just needed people's stories yeah yeah i just needed i needed people and whether or not they were in my house or hanging out with me at the park or whatever i just needed people and so mm. this podcast latter day lives was one of my, the ones i listened to faithfully and and since i only started listening to them last summer i had three years to catch up on <laughs> so i had plenty to listen to oh that's good of you but then in october you decided to say sayonara i know and i was right? like and it kind of really bothered me <laughs> <laughs> it really did there so, were a few other people it bothered i was grateful that it bothered some people so that night that you that i heard that announcement when i was laying in bed waiting for sleep to come I was laying there, and it was a very distinct impression. It wasn't words that said it, but it mm. was a feeling that could have basically been words. It said, Andrea, you need to start a podcast, and you need to start it about Native Americans. Awesome. And, I love that. And it wouldn't go away. And I was like, I could do this. I could totally do this. 
because I have lots of friends that I met at BYU and throughout my life. I just have lots of friends and their stories are amazing. And I know that they have family who have amazing stories. And Mm. so I started working on it. It was the end of October. It was the last week of October that I had this impression and I worked on it November and December and I launched it in January. Amazing. Amazing. Did you um did you know anything about podcasting when you started? No, nothing. <laughs> so you had to go on and figure out equipment. You had yeah. to figure out everything. Yeah. What was Mark's reaction when you said, Hey, hun, good news, I'm starting a podcast? He was he was pretty supportive. He was he didn't ask a lot of questions. I think maybe he perhaps thought, Okay, for sure if you want to, but I'm not going to push you because it's not Mark is an amazing husband that he doesn't push me to do things, but he encourages me if I want it. That's great. And so he, he encouraged me. He's like, well, if you want it, you got, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. So perfect. So every podcast has table stakes. I call it the table stakes being just the cost of entry. This is what my show is. Is it safe to say yours is stories from uh, people of native descent who are active members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Faithful Native American members of the church. Yeah, Mm -hmm. just so cool. It's called Tribe of Testimonies. How did you come up with that name? Uh, A lot of brainstorming. My original name that I really liked was From Remnants to Roses, but that's not as intuitive to just somebody looking Mm. at it. Yeah. Um, remnants being that we believe we are remnants of the tribe of Israel and roses because in Doctrine and Covenants, we are told that the Lamanites will blossom as a rose. Oh, beautiful. So, and I like the alliteration, but I brainstorm with a bunch of friends and, um, it, it didn't, it wasn't as easy to understand for people, like just looking at the name. One of the things I love about the restored gospel and understanding the Book of Mormon and understanding so much of uh, of our own history, tribe is very important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's important in Christianity, as you mentioned, in, in that the 12 tribes and yeah. the original tribes and everything else. But it takes on, I think, a deeper meaning in the Latter-day Saint faith and in our culture. Yeah. I just love that it's called Tribe of Testimonies. Yeah. I think it's really cool. But then there's a deeper level for you that, yeah. that I don't have. Yeah. In that I, you know, I mean, my family's all European. It would be clan of testimonies. Yeah. Guess, but, but talk about what the word tribe means to you and what, because my, my friends who are native, the word tribe is really important, really sacred, like to them, their tribe. Yeah. So to me, a tribe is a family. It's a place of learning, a place of of spiritual learning as well. It's a a tribe is a, a shared history and heritage, a shared purpose. Your first episode, Trevor Reed. I always like to hear the backstory of actually starting because it's one thing to say. I have the idea, I'm buying the equipment, I'm getting the, you know, everything you need in order to have an RSS feed and for it to go out. Yeah. Then the rubber hits the road with, Yeah. I've got to do an interview, and especially for an interview style show like yeah. this one is, 
talk about how that came together. How did you approach Trevor and kind of that experience of putting out a first episode? Yeah. So like I said, I did some research in October, or I mean in November and December, and my research included reaching out to some of my friends. Mm. And uh, so I I reached out to Trevor and and we ended up talking on the phone for mm, 45 minutes before before we ever interviewed. And I told him about the name that I was working on. I told him about the purpose that I was really trying to, to accomplish. And he told me some, just some fascinating things about himself that had happened in his life. Like he'd had these small miracles that had turned into big miracles. And he, he was like, yeah, I'd love to do this. I think this is such a great, a great idea. And so he's, he's the first one that I interviewed. Um, he was available and he was willing to do it. Mm. And I was super nervous that first time too. I was like, okay, you have to be, have grace with me too. And, (laughs) but he, he was just great. And it, and it was such a good experience. So that night, I, I, I did it on the phone at night. And afterwards, I'm like, yes, I did it. I did it. <laughs> because, <laughs> I I, it. like you said, that first one, it's like, is it really going to, is it going to go? And then, and then editing it too, I was like, oh, I got to make sure it sounds really good. So, but yeah, I, he, he just had all these testimony building awesome. experiences that, he he was really excited to share, and I was really glad to have him as my first guest. Then then comes the next and far higher level of anxiety, which is pressing publish. Yeah. How scary was that? Pretty scary. And it was, you're putting yourself out there. You're saying, "Hey, world, here's something I created." And it's also Judge scary it. to know to be like, "Is anybody going to listen to right. it?" Right. Right. So so. For our listeners, it's it's essentially, I mean, you're talking people's life stories, focus mm-hmm. on their testimony and their spiritual experiences they've had for active uh, Native mm-hmm. American people of any tribe. Yes. And uh, I want to make sure that this is clear, having listened to uh, parts of some episodes, while this is a podcast of stories of Natives, it is not a podcast solely for natives. Exactly. These are our tribe in that we're all members of the church and these are phenomenal life stories. Exactly. I cannot testify of that strongly enough yeah. that it's for everyone. Yeah, it is. Every every person that I've interviewed has a nugget of knowledge or wisdom or something to build your faith or something that will um perhaps change your point of view on some something that might help you further your testimony. And so yeah, it's exactly it's not it's not just for Native Americans because it's by Native Americans. It's it's for everybody because we all have the gospel. That's uh, beautiful. <clears throat> What's the response been from your audience? It's been pretty exciting. I've I've already got some I've already got guests lined up because of responses from it. I've had people who've been like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. You should talk to my mom or my grandma. Or they're like, they they have people that have stories that need to be shared. And it's been really exciting to have people 
share that. We all go into these interviews expecting certain things. Have you had guests that have surprised you? Yeah, I've had testimonies born that I did not expect. Like my first, my second, my second interview, my first lady that I interviewed, she talked about the change the baptism made for her, like mm. the literal change in her. And I didn't expect that. I didn't know that she was going to bear testimony of that. Um, I, yeah, there are just things like that, that I don't expect everything. And I, I've been blessed by it. So I assume that if I can be blessed by it, then other people can be blessed by it. For sure. I think it's awesome. <clears throat> what do your folks think about it? Oh my gosh. My parents are so supportive. They're like the first ones to comment every week. <laughs> oh, this person, I love this person, what they said about this. And they send me a text every every week, and it makes me feel really good. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of time. Yeah. You're doing this with small children at home. Yeah. You don't get paid for it. No, I pay for it. You pay for it. That's something, <laughs> that, that's something a lot of people don't understand with podcasts. I get people who say, so are you doing it full time now? Yeah, no, I make zero dollars. <laughs> Where do you think the money comes from? You know it's free. So why do you do it? What what do you get out of this? Uh, it's just a, a mission that I've been put on. I think that um, one of my spiritual gifts is that I'm a, able to maintain connections with friends throughout my life and and different things like that. But I uh, I feel like Heavenly Father has said, okay, it's time to use this spiritual gift to connect with more people, mm. and that's it's fulfilling to me that's what's what I get out of it is that it's fulfilling something Heavenly Father's asked me to do gosh I love it so it's called Tribe of Testimonies people can get it anywhere they get their podcasts like wherever wherever you listen to Latter-day Lives go there other than SoundCloud unless you're listening on SoundCloud go to <laughs> wherever uh, but if you're listening on Apple or on Google mm -hmm. Play or on Amazon Podcasts wh wherever you listen you can get uh, Tribe of Testimonies uh, this has just been phenomenal. I love this. I love everything about it. People should definitely go check it out. Uh, you have listened to all the episodes of Latter-day Live, so you know what comes next. Yeah. Which is our question that we ask all of our guests. And I love that you're a listener, because I usually forget to prep the guest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so usually I'm springing the question on them. But uh, Andrea, what does being a member of the church mean to you? Well, you've you've already asked me a little bit about it before because my answer is that it's my tribe i feel safe in the church i feel like i am taught in the church i feel like it's my family i feel like it is um something that that helps me be a better person every day and i like i said before about a tribe that's what i think a tribe is mm. and so the church is my tribe i love it she is a mother, she is a wife, a lawyer, a podcast host, and an amazing uh, Native American saint who's telling a lot of very, very important stories. Andrea Hales, thank you for sharing your Latter-day Life with us. Thanks. And my special thanks to my new friend, Andrea Hales, as well as her husband, Mark. Like I said, it was just so fun having them over, and I think Andrea is doing really important work. As we know, Native peoples are so important to our country, 
as well as to our faith and our church culture, and I'm just so grateful for the work she is doing there. Uh, This week in my Latter-day life, you know, as things are somewhat returning back to, I guess, normal, I'm not sure what we call it, but uh, I've started traveling again more, but really mostly just down to San Diego where I have an office. And uh, this week, I, through a set of crazy circumstances, I actually had to fly into San Diego early Sunday morning. And I don't enjoy traveling on Sunday mornings. Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening, it's not so bad, but Sunday morning, it kind of just throws me off. And it was a good Sunday for it in that I didn't have um, any specific church stuff that I had to do on site. I was able to do it over the phone and everything else. Uh, But still, I, I just wasn't in a great mood. And it was very early because of spring break, I think, really the only flight that was just made any financial sense was uh, early in the morning. And I was on very little sleep. Saturday, uh, Nick and I had a uh, a steak cook-off event, and I was out in the sun all day. It's just been a long week, and I was exhausted. And as I got to the airport, I got off my plane, you know, and I was groggy, and I was kind of in a bit of a bad mood. Not terrible, but just don't talk to me, don't look at me, don't anything. (laughs) And I made my way over to the rental car shuttle. And it's, you know, about a 10-minute drive, maybe 8 or 10 minutes from the airport over to the the car rental lot. And as I walked up to the, the rental car shuttle, the driver jumped out and he said, Good morning, good morning, good morning. And I went, Oh, no, here we go. This is what I do not need this morning. And he said, my man, let me help you with your bags. And I said, oh, I, I've got them. It's okay. I just had a little carry on. And he looked at my t-shirt and I was wearing a Lakers championship shirt from last year. And he said, well, if you are a Lakers fan, you're traveling first class with me today, my friend. Hop on into my bus and let's do this. And it kind of made me chuckle. He was so energetic. And I got on, it's a full-size bus. And I was the only person on it. And I got in and sat down and he said, for the next eight or 10 minutes, you and I are going to be talking about the World Championship Lakers. And I guess, you know, I'm pretty much always in the mood to talk about the Lakers. And we started talking about our team this year. And when we started talking about past teams And every player I'd bring up, you know, I'd say, oh, and then James Worthy. You go, James, big game, James, my man from the outside. And I'd mention Robert Ory and Robert Ory, downtown Robert Ory, my man. And just everyone we talked about up through now and LeBron James and LBJ bringing down the thunder. And I got into it. Suddenly we were talking about the whole NBA and past players and future of the NBA. And I got so excited and so into it. But I think even someone who wasn't a basketball fan would have been into it. And I think we could have been talking about anything. And it would have been just as exciting. We could have been talking about our last trip to the library. I just think that's who this guy is. And as I pulled up and went to get off of his bus. He, he jumped out and kind of came around to help me with my bags. And he said, I have so thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. And I said, what's your name? And he said, my name's Eric. And I said, Eric, you saved me today. God bless you, Eric. I said, thank you. Thank you, because you are what I needed this morning. And as I walked off to the rental car, 
I was a totally different person than I had been 15 minutes earlier. And even though I love basketball, it was not the basketball that did it. It was Eric. I am so grateful that God put him in my path because it changed the entire rest of my day. And I think too often, you know, there was a great uh, a great talk given in conference. I think it was October's conference where uh, one of the speakers, she was talking about how she had the prompting not to look at her phone so much, but instead to look up and look around. More of that. We need lots more of that. We need more Eric's in the world. We need more people saying hello. And maybe it's not always a conversation. Maybe it's just a smile. Maybe it's a, I sure like your jacket. Maybe it's, how are you doing today? People need connection. We need bonding. And especially as we're hopefully making our way out of this pandemic, it's time. And even if it's only over Zoom or a text, how are you doing? I miss you. I love you. Hey, you're my friend. Whatever it is, let's make those connections. Let's make those bonds. Eric lifted me up today. It's my turn. I'm it. It's on me to lift somebody else. I'm so thankful for my new friend, Eric. I cannot wait until I'm on his bus again. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. We sure appreciate it. If you enjoy the show, we would love it if you would just share it with somebody else. Just ask them if they listen to podcasts. Tell them that you enjoy this one because we sure do have a lot of great stories being told here. If you want to connect with me, uh, you can reach me at sean at latterdaylives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. You can also reach out to me through Instagram and Facebook. And uh, we're we're really starting to build up a, a really big audience on Facebook. A little bit smaller on Instagram, but uh, we would love for you to join us and follow us there because we really appreciate it. Uh, well, I think that's about all we got for you this week. So until we meet again, there is a great big beautiful world out there. Go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.